Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Do you realize this is the one-year anniversary of Totally Fantastic Title? I cannot believe it has been a year, and yet it has also been well over a year that we've been hunkering down and keeping a safe distance from people and our industry shut its doors. I was thinking of doing something interesting for this episode, an an interview or some sort of fun thing, but I didn't. And that's okay. It's enough that I'm still doing this, that I'm still creating. That has been really hard for some people I know, fellow artists and creators. There's always so much emphasis on being productive, on um, achieving goals, And those are the things that we tend to celebrate and congratulate each other for. But, you know, we're all tired. I'm tired. It's like when my kids were babies and each day was such a slog. And the things I congratulated myself for were, uh, I had a shower. (laughs) And it was before four o'clock in the afternoon. Or, I ate a decent lunch. Or, I had a nap. Go me. (laughs) I have to remind myself that time spent doing nothing is also time well spent. Taking care of yourself is time well spent. So I didn't do anything special for the podcast's birthday. Happy birthday, totally fantastic title. See, it forgives me. So they made it to Bartholomew Castle. Everything should be wrapping up nicely very soon then. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 30 He Must Find Some Way Kier hauled her eyelids upward as if they were sacks of flour. Blinking a few times, she tried to place herself. The last thing she remembered was eyes, deep, dark, inviting eyes gazing down at her. They wanted her to do something. No, that's not it. Her vague recollections moved further ahead in time, an open area before the pillars of stone. A dark-haired woman strangling Derry, dashing forward with her sword straight in front of her, the blade gliding easily through the bitch's body, the force of the move pulling her over, no more footing, nothing to grab onto, nothing. Kier gasped and tried to sit up, couldn't, and panic rose like bile in her throat. She frantically looked at the things around her in hopes that new images would block out the one she did not wish to revive. Everything came back to her. The journey, the evening with Kami, the earthquake, Soren, Gilvray, Derry. She had vague memories of some bizarre dreams, too. Her eyes were wide open now. She lay in a bed in a room about three times the size of her little chamber at Shale Castle. The whitewashed stone walls were kept from looking stark by tapestries with warm autumnal shades. Wall sconces with bright candles flickered between them. The door on the opposite wall was closed, and above her head a small window let no light steal around the shutters and curtains, so Kier assumed it was night. Another bed next to hers was neatly made up with a brightly colored woven spread. To the left of where she lay, a fire crackled in a white stone fireplace, and next to that, a small white-robed woman with long, graying hair that had once been dark hovered over a small metal bowl on a table. A dark green silk scarf partially covered her head. "'What is this place?' 
Kier's voice cracked from lack of use over goodness knew what period of time. The woman looked around. Oh, you've come back, have you? She smiled kindly, but did not stop what she was doing. You've been away a good long while, you know. How long? Where am I? Where's Derry? Apprehension bubbled within her. Why can't I move? She found her right leg was movable, though stiff, but her other had been bound tightly and felt leaden. Her left arm below the elbow had been immobilized with plaster, and her right arm was strapped across her chest, tied tightly to a splint. What did I do to three-quarters of my body? The woman set the bowl on the hob and came over to Kier, putting a hand on her forehead and three fingers of the other on her wrist. "'You're in the House of Healing at Barthelen Castle. You've been here since the day before yesterday, and I believe a week passed prior to that since your accident. You'll have to clarify that with your friends. They're likely asleep right now. It is the middle of the night, after all.' "'That long?' Kier whispered. "'I remember falling.' What the hell happened? How did we get here so fast? That you will also have to ask one of your friends. I was not there, you see. I only entered your life when they brought you here. My name is Imogen, and I am your chief healer, though you will meet others. It appears you were very lucky. She did not elaborate. Kier pressed her, but Imogen just smiled patiently. Sharp, stabbing pains shot down her back, and a dull ache throbbed in her left leg. The old woman gave Kier a warm, evil-tasting drink, and soon a burning numbness crept through her limbs. The strange sensation took her mind off the pain for the short time it took to dull it. But at the same time, her mind faded, and she fell asleep again. The next time she awoke, Fennel sat next to her on a chair. He was reading a thick, dusty book. He looked up just as she took a deep breath and tried to shift. "'Ah, there you are,' he said, as if she had just entered the room. "'Imogen told me you woke up last night, so I thought I would come and wait for you.' He put a ribbon between the leaves of the volume to mark his place and closed it, putting it on the floor. He then folded his hands on his lap, ready for a conversation. "'We're very glad you're still with us,' he said matter-of-factly. "'Are you going to tell me what happened, or are you going to be just as useless at providing information as Imogen?' Kier said with mock irritation. "'Oh, it's good to have you back, sarcasm and all,' the elf responded lightly. "'What do you want to know?' "'Well, what happened? How did we get here? Did we find the rest of the ingredients?' she added earnestly, the thought having just come to her. Fennel calmed her with a hand. "'Slow down! Yes, we did!' We are all anxious to learn how you got into the caves and found the dust. I and some others went along to the Tree of Life. And Alon Mare? Kier's heart thudded. Is improving. The Prime Healer followed your instructions. What? Yes, from Kami, I suppose, but you told her and Derry how much of the dry stuff to soak in how much of the sap with whatever kind of crystal for four hours. They've been administering it to her along with an incantation three times a day since the night before last, and though it's still early, it seems to be helping. Kier breathed deeply of the scented oils that drifted through the room from the brazier at the end of her bed. Profound relief and calm washed over her like a warm wave. She fought back tears. That's good, then. Her voice was hoarse with emotion. It was all worth it. As for you, the jovial elf went on, broken leg, broken arm, lots of repair work done on the muscle of your right shoulder. All in all, you were pretty lucky. Kier steeled herself. I guess it could have been worse. But my weapon arm, 
Fennel nodded, unsmiling. Imogen says you will certainly walk again soon, though I should warn you that you will probably have a limp, maybe for the rest of your life. Your left arm will heal fine. Derry did excellent work there. You've had two low-grade healing potions to speed up the process on the right side, but not so much that the muscle won't heal itself naturally, which will prevent the weaker fibers that sometimes come of hastened tissue regrowth. You'll have to work on that muscle to regain your strength and dexterity in that arm. She says with time and exercise you'll be back to swinging that sword of yours. She tried to process the thought of fighting with a limp, but she shelved the information for later. Where is Derry? I expected him to be here. A shadow fell over Fennel's bright features. He's, well, a lot has gone on in the last couple of weeks. There are things to deal with. Well, aren't you the cryptic one? Fennel shrugged and spoke with a hint of what Kier could only define as bitterness. It isn't going to be easy to explain a lot of this stuff. You left at the beginning of it, and we didn't see you again until you were over the edge. What stuff? You mean all that about the runes? That's why I need to talk to Derry. She saw by the dimness of his eyes that there was a lot on his mind. Well, yes, that, and more— "'You see, that incident was a bit of a catalyst for a whole lot of other things to come out, "'stuff that isn't going to be easy to explain.' "'Fennel slowed down as though reluctant to speak. "'Your account is needed, too, and Val wants to wait until the healers are sure you're ready for it.' "'Val's here?' "'Then she clued into something else he'd said. "'What do you mean, my account?' Fennel held up his hands defensively. I am under strict instructions not to bring it up. I will give you one, for instance, because I can't stand it. He leaned forward and spoke ever so softly. Did you open the gate? Kier felt the color drain from her face. That really happened? A magical gift. The guardian was right. There are so many things I need to discuss with you, my lord. Derry added Val's title to indicate the serious nature of the conversation. As a group, they had filled him in on the major events of the journey, and even about some of the frustrations and suspicions that had arisen from Kier's odd behavior, but Derry had asked the others to let him tell Dunvarin on his own about a few of the more intricate details. But I've had to work very hard to find a way to bring them up. They are, he thought a moment, touchy. "'and I didn't want everyone around "'because I don't want it to become a free-for-all of finger-pointing.' "'Val held up a hand. "'It's all right. "'If you're ready to begin now, do so.' "'Before I do, I have a question. "'Ask away. "'What was Quiven's report about the Blue Serpent necklace?' "'He held his breath and waited. "'Val's fingertips touched "'and he rested his hands on his chest. "'His contemplative expression made Derry's heart skip.' But Val finally answered, Quiven found that the serpent necklace held a considerably powerful magical spell. He confirmed the suspicion that it was the cause of Alon's illness. Oh, the captain sighed deeply as disappointment sagged his shoulders. Aren't you pleased to learn the cause? It will be easier to help her. Derry nodded. Yes, of course. It's not that. It's just... If he was right about that, doesn't it follow that he was right about the other parts of the story? Who? Derry braced himself for the more controversial part of the discussion. We talked already about some of our frustrations with Kier. Val nodded. And we told you about Frederick. The fact is, 
Frederick told us about a connection linking Kier with the blue serpent necklace. He forced himself to meet his lord's eyes. This would not be easy for the duke. The evidence is fairly strong. Some in our party believe the report that Kier is the one who delivered the necklace to Alon. Do you trust Frederick? No judgment was in Val's tone. Derry sighed. I don't know, but the evidence points to it. Valraker tapped one finger on the desktop. What sort of evidence? The fact that she brought it up one day, for one thing. We were chatting, and someone mentioned snakes, and Kier piped up that the snake is a symbol of undying love. That's exactly what Frederick told Jaskelin. Valraker's brows contracted. Anything else? Derry hesitated, frowning. If I could avoid mentioning the mirror... I wasn't convinced just by that. It was a strange coincidence, if anything. But you believe Frederick might be right about Kier? Derry watched how the skin of his knuckles stretched and contracted as he flexed his fingers. I don't want to, of course. I'm trying to put my friendship with Kier aside and look at the facts. She obviously knows about the necklace because she brought it up. And you see, we now know she had the means of doing it. He paused to try reading Val's blank expression. She claims she's never been here, but, sir, she gated us here all the way from Bolivar Chasm. Valraker's eyebrows lifted. Derry flattened his palms on the arms of his chair. First of all, how is it that Kier Halliden, supposed farm girl from Hrath, can gate when Jaskelin hasn't even begun to attempt that spell? And secondly, everyone knows you can't gate to some place you have never been before unless you can see it in the distance. How did she open a gate to Barthelen Castle unless she's been here? Valraker's expression remained impassive. Derry had to convince him. Kier has undergone a change of character, Val. She's been dishonest about so many things from the start of this journey. And has contributed help in so many other ways, Val pointed out. Derry tried not to hear him. I think she gated herself and Fennel out of the cavern in the cold fells. She told us some cocked-up story, and I didn't believe it at the time. And you remember her story about escaping from Ronav's headquarters when we were on our way to Nenya? Again Val nodded. I do recall... I also recall her puzzlement. Supposed puzzlement, anyway, Derry suggested. Val shrugged, as if admitting the possibility. Derry stopped. This isn't easy for me, you know, Valraker. The Duke drew back, as if Derry had splashed a cup of water at him. Derry flushed, aware he was overstepping himself, but pushed on. You don't like hearing these things about her. She's kind of like your prodigy or something, but I have to tell you about it. He felt himself pouting and unclenched his fist. Would Val have defended his captain so vehemently if the tables were turned? And another thing, too. Kami gave Kier a rose, Derry went on, purging himself of all that had troubled him, nearly all. It's magical, and for a long time I was concerned that it was precipitating a lot of Kier's troubles on the journey. Jaskelin told me it was just the opposite. It has a powerful protection spell— can you think why Kami, the greatest wizard in Rydris, would feel it important to protect Kier Halliden to that degree? His voice had risen as his incredulity burst forth, and he finally caught himself. He leaned back in his chair. Dunvarin rested his palms on the desk. I will give it some thought, he said. The duke mirrored Derry's posture and said, I have one question for you. All right, Derry said. 
When did you start seeing eye to eye with Frederick Hayland? It was all very interesting, Valraker decided, leaning back and putting his booted feet up on Kian's desk. Derry was right about one thing. He did not like hearing the evidence against Kier. On the other hand, Valraker had his own suspicions about Kier. He counted them out on his fingers, weighing them against what he had heard in the reports from his company. Entering the Indian caves, gating, magic swords, roses, gating... Valraker tapped his fingers together and gazed at the clouds through the window. It might be time for a chat. "'Do you realize how many days I have been lying down?' Pierre said irritably. Fennel's visit the day before had been the only one of its kind. Not one of her other friends had come around since she had awakened. "'It's better for you to keep low,' Imogen said with excruciating reason." No, it isn't, Kier contradicted petulantly, raising her voice. Look, I'm bored, lonely, and unhappy. If the well-being of the patient has any effect on her healing, then sitting up would be the best thing for her right now. Imogen stood over her, the picture of eternal fortitude. Hands clasped in front, she shook her head at Kier almost sadly. Oh, very well, she sighed, for a little while. "'That's perfect,' said a familiar voice. "'I wish to talk to her for a little while. "'What a coincidence!' "'Val!' Kier said as if all her prayers had been answered. "'Imogen and Valraker helped Kier up to a sitting position, "'the healer fussily adjusting pillows behind her. "'Thank you,' the warrior said in all sincerity. "'Now, my lord, you are not to wear her out,' Imogen warned, "'though she did not specify the consequences.' "'Val grinned at her back as she left.' Then he turned to Kier and said, It's in healers' contracts to say shit like that. Kier burst into laughter that sent shooting pains through her entire body, but was the best feeling she'd had for nearly two weeks. Oh, Val, I've missed you. Where is everyone? Do they think I'm contagious or something? Val sat in the same chair Fennel had occupied. He spread his hands out on the edge of the bed. I am sorry. Your friends are concerned about you, naturally. But I'm afraid some barriers have been drawn up, and they are feeling somewhat distant. Kier's hackles rose. Something was wrong with all this. Val went on. Besides, I wanted to talk to you first. I have some questions, and I didn't want the others coming in here and raising your ire. Kier smiled because he winked at her. How did he know she had already leapt to the defensive? He was soothing her indignation before he'd had a chance to ignite it. Then something occurred to her. Before you say anything, I need to know if... Did Derry tell you about our argument? Kier's stomach churned at the memory of all the accusations that had flown that night. Her own guilt was a ghostly creature that hovered around her, clinging mercilessly to her memory. Val smiled his gentle smile. He told me about it, yes. He explained some of the frustrations that built up to it as well. Kier closed her eyes, frowning. Well, if you want to know my side, he was right about a lot of what he said. I thought at the time he was out of line, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized I ought to have shared more with him. I had been stubborn and childish, really. That's why I went back to the caves. I'd decided to leave. She broke off, realizing what she had just admitted, and another ghost rushed in to join the other as she remembered that she never had the chance to confess that she'd killed Ronav in cold blood. She turned away from the dark elf's gray eyes that seemed to know so much. 
You should never have taken me on in the first place. His hushed voice matched hers. Ah, but you see, if I hadn't, who would Kami have been so taken with? Skimnoddle, perhaps? He wanted her to laugh, but she couldn't just now. With whom would he have shared all the facts about the cure? I understand that in spite of all these accusations, these dreadful things you are supposed to have done, you played a key role in the discovery of almost every item on that list of ingredients. Maybe you did walk away, twice, so I hear. She stiffened at that. And at some juncture I'd be happy to listen if you'd like to tell me more about that. But you came back. You completed the task. Another individual might not have done so. And in some cases, nobody else could have done so. Kier turned back almost unwillingly to gaze at him. What? Valraker's demeanor altered slightly. How did you manage to open the Inden cave doors? I had the key. It struck her that Val probably hadn't heard the news he needed to know. The surprised curiosity on his face confirmed her suspicion. I can't tell you how I learned about it. You'll have to be okay with that. I found out that the key... I assume you know what I'm talking about? Val nodded. The key was in the possession of Colonel Greenberg of the Realm Guard. She told him about their arrival at the outpost and Gilvray's refusal to admit he had the rune pattern. Had the colonel been there, I'd have offered to deliver the key to you. Did you happen to learn how the colonel came by it? Kier had to reply with caution. Her vow was sacrosanct. The key was delivered to the colonel with the idea of getting it to you. The one who originally possessed it is believed to be dead, but passed it to another for safekeeping, who gave it to the colonel. Dead. Val fell into a deeply thoughtful silence. Kier could almost hear the thoughts swirling in his head as he tried to piece the story together. She hoped he wouldn't press her for more information, or she'd have trouble keeping her promise. She was relieved when finally he spoke. So the colonel still has the key? Kier nodded. The colonel himself wasn't there when we were, but his major, Gilvray was his name, was guarding it. I'll send someone to get it, or I'll go myself. Wait, if the colonel still has it, how did you... Kier smiled sheepishly. Well, I sort of stole the rune pattern from Gilvray. I copied it. That's what I was doing when Derry thought I was... Well, I was, but not for the reason... Never mind. She chose to ignore the amusement twinkling in the dark elf's eyes. So I stole the runes, and after I took off, I realized that even though I'd left the drawing of the pattern with Derry... I was the only one with a red jewel, to my knowledge anyhow. In spite of herself, excitement coursed through her as she told the story. I rode to the caves, got past the trayern plant, and went to the cave doors. It took me a long time to find the matching pattern on the door, but I finally did. I let torchlight shine through the pommel of my sword, and... She shrugged her good shoulder. The door opened. Val said nothing for a moment, but stared at her thoughtfully, not allowing any expression to give her a clue to his contemplations. Sunlight streamed through the window and fell across his knees like a lapdog. So what happened once you were inside? Kier gave him as much detail as she could about her experience with the sentries of the caves, how she'd found the dust, how she'd finally escaped. They really didn't like my sword at all. Where is this new weapon of yours? He followed her indication and rose to fetch it. He sat back down and examined its sheath. Though his voice remained matter-of-fact, she thought she detected a strained quality to it. Terry and Jaskelin told me about your little diversion. May I? 
She nodded, and he drew it out of its sheath. As with every time she'd removed it, the blade caught her breath with wonder. The simple beauty of it, its stunning sheen, its absolute perfection. So the sentinels, they didn't like this, huh? He murmured quietly, as if to himself. No, I should say not. He sheathed it abruptly. Why? Because it's a dark elvish sword, of course. Her jaw dropped. But before she could ask him to elaborate, he said, Now what can you tell me about a blue serpent? The words arrowed into her. First just Kellen, and now him. I had a dream where I was a maid here at Barthelen Castle, she began, trying to recall how many times she'd dreamt it and when they had begun. She told him how it became more detailed with each recurrence. She told him about delivering the serpent necklace. Alon explained that the serpent is a symbol of undying love, I suppose because when it bites its tail it creates a complete circle, unbroken. Her throat had gone dry and Val helped her to a sip of water. Anyway, Alon put the necklace on, and as soon as she did, I, whoever I was in the dream, felt I had succeeded in some task. When I woke up, I had a horrible feeling that the necklace was the cause of Alon's sickness. Kier looked at Val hopefully. Please explain it. He made no reaction. I remember thinking after I woke up once that when I was a maid in the dream, I knew I wasn't really a maid. She glanced up at him again to see if he comprehended. He met her gaze quizzically. I mean, the slippers didn't feel right and the dress was uncomfortable, as if I wasn't really used to wearing one like it. Val cocked his head. What did it look like? Kier shrugged and her face warmed as she realized what he wanted to know. It was a simple shift, blue, with a darker blue apron. Val was silent. He picked at a hangnail on his left forefinger. Funny, he said finally. That is exactly what the maidservants wear over in the keep. Something in his tone prevented her exclamation of disbelief. Her brows rose. And curiously enough, he went on, Alon Mare was wearing a necklace just exactly fitting the description you told me. Kier wanted to shrink away from his unwavering gaze. You're not serious. Val went on as if he hadn't heard. When Quiven, Kian's wizard, examined it, he discovered... Can you guess? Kier nodded. Val leaned forward ever so slightly. It's odd that you should have such an accurate dream. What are you trying to say? she croaked. There are some who believe that you would be unable to swear upon your life that you have never been to Barthelen Castle before. His eyes were frosty. Blood seeped out of her cheeks. Her gut feelings had always told her to trust Valraker. That faith was wavering as the insinuation struck her side like a rapier. She pleaded, I do swear it. You don't believe that, do you? Some wonder how you could gate here without having been here before. I don't know, she yelled. How in seven hells should I know? Others wonder how you can gate at all and why you didn't tell them before. Perspiration beaded up on her neck. She shook her head and her voice pushed out barely above a whisper. I don't know. Why was he attacking her this way? Which one don't you know? She strangled a burst of emotion. I don't know how I can gate. I didn't tell them because I didn't know I could do it. How did you come to know? He pressed. Kier shook her head, imploring. I don't know. I, I think you'd better go now. Very well. He stood up. 
Viam Sionel Hetzel Burdrin Preas, he said in dark elvish. We will learn what it all means soon. Kier jumped out of her skin, automatically replying, Vilozain, I hope so. Instantly she regretted it. He stared at her, expressionless. He'd caught her unprepared. She was too riled up, too startled to pretend she did not understand what he'd said. The words proving her comprehension slipped out beyond her control. The heat of an intense blush was as if she'd pulled the blanket over her head. Val was still watching her, and she was stuck. The truth was out. She tore herself away from his heavy gaze. With her good legs, she dragged her body down until she was flat. When she looked again, the dark elf was gone. That made two things he now knew that he had heretofore only guessed. But rather than answer all his questions, it made more. The obvious questions were, who are you? How, no, why are you here? He had a suspicion, but, he shook his head, it didn't make any sense. He would almost stake his life that it was impossible. Almost. He was certain Kier herself wouldn't know any of those answers, and he felt confident that revealing anything to Kier would be a very bad choice. No, there was one person to whom he absolutely needed to speak who would be able to shed light on the subject. Too bad there simply wasn't time right now. Janik rested a tray of food on the low wooden wall that separated Frederick's stall from the next one. Frederick leapt on the food as if he were a starved street urchin. He took it in one hand and fed himself a strip of beef with his fingers as he sat down in the hay. It smelled great, even mixed with the smell of hay and horse shit. "'What took you so long?' he asked with his mouth full. "'Bad enough I'm stuck out here without being nutrition-deprived as well.' He remained focused on his meal. Janik didn't respond right away, but grunted. "'Typical inarticulate dwarf,' Frederick thought." The dwarf illustrated quite the opposite. Don't get querulous with me, big fella. Your popularity is under question, remember? All it would take is a badly timed slip of my tongue to key in and you'd be hunted down and slaughtered. Frederick bit his cheek and cursed. He spared the dwarf a glance without looking up. Be grateful I found a way to excuse myself early from dinner to put some food together for you at all. Janik picked at a sliver in his arm. What? Frederick swallowed his mouthful. What's being discussed? When do I go speak to Kean? Gods, he'd missed food from Kean's kitchen. Not sure. The dwarf rested his elbows on the edge of the stall. Derry's treating it all really careful. Kean knows Alon was magicked sick. They took the necklace from her right away. There's no speculation about who did it, not yet. We told Val lots about the whole trip, and I think Val knows your part in it. Derry wants to be cautious about how he words things to Kean so he doesn't set him off. Frederick shrugged. I guess that's fair, but I need to speak to him soon. Damn right it's fair. Derry's putting himself on the line for you. You know that, don't you? Janik went on thoughtfully. Val won't want any finger-pointing without solid evidence, and it's going to be hard to convince him about Kier. He's pretty keen on her. It'd be bad news if the blame were thrown at Kier without proof. Why not let me talk to him? I'm the one who knows what really happened. Who knows how Kian would react if Kier were blamed too soon? Derry wants it to be fair. Frederick stopped mid-chew. Too soon? For the truth? He pointed his knife at Janik. If Derry wants it to be fair, then I should be involved. 
He swallowed and took a big gulp of milk. She has all the advantage here with all her friends to speak on her behalf. It's my story that has all the evidence against her. What about me? Who else is going to speak from my side? He demanded, getting to his feet and slipping on the straw. I don't want to get to see Kian only after they've already decided that their precious Kier had nothing to do with it. He kicked the straw for emphasis, strewing it across his dinner tray. He leaned on his arm against the other wall. I need to see Kian before... Before Alon recovers, he thought to himself. Before Kian finds out too much. Before someone somehow proves Kier didn't do it. Frederick hardly heard Janik say, I'll talk to him, but I don't know. The dwarf left. The threads of his plan were unraveling. The whole point was that he would humble himself before his lord and tell his story. Kian would be ready to blame someone, and Frederick would provide him with a target. Kian would be forced to reinstate him. It's my reward for turning in the killer. Frederick knew Kian. There was not a chance that the duke would ever hear him out if Kier were already in too positive a light. His only hope was to get to Kian before the others did. He must find some way to tie up the end of his plan, seal Kier's fate while repairing his own. Okay, so maybe things didn't get wrapped up today. Maybe not right away, but soon. Alon will be cured and everyone will be happy. We like it when stories get all neatly tied up with a bow at the end, don't we? Uh, a salute to loyal listener John. He is now uh, chief executive in charge of letting me know when I've made a mistake. He pointed out one to me from a couple of episodes ago. And he's, he's been right on top of those from the very beginning. And I appreciate that. And it's so funny because, of course, I immediately thought about how, how those little mistakes can get past editors and first readers and so many passes by so many sets of eyes and still make it into the book. It happens all the time. But this time I went and I checked the thing that John pointed out and was like, dang, I added that fairly recently. That's all me. <laughs> well, I'm not going to fix it for the podcast, but I will fix it for the audiobook version. Thank you to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie, for forgiving my many mistakes. I am grateful to David and Sharon. Thanks, Original Six, and thank you to you for listening. Hit like and subscribe and share. Consider dropping a review onto Goodreads. And always, please take good care of yourselves. Now, go be fantastic.